Please open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, and we've already read through this chapter, and so I want us to read, um, verse start, to start, just look at verse 9 one more time. Focus in on verse 9 says, but that is, it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray one more time together. Father in heaven, indeed we all can testify to the words that Horatius Bonar penned years ago. It indeed is not what our hands have done that can save our guilty souls. But rather, Father, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid it all. And now we come before you this morning as redeemed individuals, longing to meet with you and to hear from your spirit. And so now, Lord, I pray that you would help us that you would teach us from your word, that you would be glorified and that our hearts would delight in the blessings we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Have you ever talked with someone who said, I read the Bible, but it doesn't make sense. It's just hard to understand. Or have you said that? Or do you feel that way now? Or perhaps you know someone who struggles, or you yourself struggle with wisdom or lack of discernment. You're not able to zero in on important issues or properly evaluate situations. And because of this lack of spiritual confidence, you find yourself hesitant and maybe utterly unwilling or seemingly unable to do anything in your Christian life. Well, the Bible exhorts us toward sort of a two-tiered expression of spiritual growth. It's like a two-pronged goal. One, to learn to spontaneously think Christianly, to have a spiritual mindset, that is, intelligently, knowingly thinking God's thoughts. In a culture that is saturated with pagan and utterly chaotic thinking, we're exhorted to think God's thoughts. And secondly, to learn to spontaneously behave Christianly, to live a spiritual lifestyle. That is, an active, intentional, aggressive Christian life in a culture that is replete with every manner of temptation to pull us away from Christ, to live day by day, 
moment by moment, intentionally, according to the teaching of the Word of God. In other words, our goal is to both know God's truth and to do God's truth. To do God's truth on purpose, with confidence and boldness. But we know ourselves, don't we? We know our limitations. How can we actually dare to presume that we can think and live and speak God's truth into a fallen culture? Well, I believe the passage before us gives us full warrant for having that goal and believing it can be accomplished. But not just in the lives of a few specially trained Christians. I think this passage tells us that this ought to be true of every Christian. Now, the foundation for this is that the word of our God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The true Christian, God's word tells us, is a new creation. There has been a transformation. The true Christian is different now from everyone else. He is now a child of truth. He is now a child of God. But note, he is not just positionally different. In other words, he is not merely different in status. He is actually different. He is a new creation. Our text shows us how special that difference is. And our text shows us that the Lord our God has prepared something very special and very unique for his people. Though this morning, I would like to consider three things regarding this text. First of all, what the text is not saying. Secondly, what it is that God has prepared. And third, consider seven applications as an outgrowth of this truth. First of all, then, let us consider what the text is not saying. Look again at verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. First of all, it is not referring exclusively to some future state. It is not referring to heaven. It is often seen this, and I'm sure this is true of heaven, but in this passage, this is a present day truth. Our text says, but it is written. And Paul is quoting here from Isaiah 64, 4, which says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. Now, to the Old Testament listener, this was a mystery. In context, this is a prayer for aid and mercy. Isaiah is declaring and confessing sin. And asking, God, asking for God's mercy, but it is a mystery. No eye has seen, and no ear has heard. It is wonderful, but it is a mystery. What could it be? 
What has God prepared? Now, there were many mysteries in the Old Testament. It is not uncommon at all. However, many of those Old Testament mysteries were explained in the New Testament. Consider Ephesians 6.19 by way of example. Paul was asking the saints in Ephesus to pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. To the Old Testament man, the gospel was a mystery. But in the New Testament, the gospel is explained or proclaimed or made new or, excuse me, made known as the New King James renders it. Now back to our task. Look at verses 7 and 8. Paul says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul imparts, he says, a secret and hidden wisdom of God, a mystery which God had decreed but was not understood. But in verse 10, we are told now God has revealed them. God has revealed what? Well, the things which no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. The things God has prepared for those who love Him. Those things. God has revealed them. This is not something future. It was something future in the Old Testament. But now it has been revealed. Secondly, it is not referring to everyone. Who is it for? Verse 9 tells us, For those who love Him. That's in Isaiah. It was for those who wait for Him. That's future. But here, it is for those who love Him. That's present. Verse 10 uses the words, to us. Not everyone, of course, loves Him. So, who is the us here? Well, the context here is contrasting two groups of thought and the people who represent those thoughts. The language is describing those whose thinking is folly and those whose thinking is wisdom. Now, it is April 1st. In our culture, we celebrate this as April Fool's Day, where we seem to take great delight in trying to make fools out of others. However, the Bible has nothing good to say about fools. The Bible has nothing good to say about folly. In our Sunday school hour this morning, our brother taught us from uh, a summary of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And as he was describing the behavior of the Corinthian church, he described what it was like for those who lived according to folly. It's an excellent lesson. And we see the description here. Well, here in this passage, we see these two groups, Paul contrasting those who live according to folly, contrasted with those according to wisdom. Look at chapter 1. Turn over to chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see the contrast here as Paul's developing this thought. The folly of those who are perishing versus the wisdom of of God. And even the wisdom of God seems like folly, he says, to the Gentiles because they do not know the wisdom of God. The text goes on to further describe those two groups as the natural person as opposed to the spiritual person. In chapter 2 and verse 14, we see this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And these both are the same as the ones in verse 9 who are those who love God. The spiritual person identifies then, the text identifies then the us being referred to in verse 10 as the same as the spiritual person in verse 14. Now perhaps you are here today and in your arrogant ignorance, you think the things of God, the Christian faith, is folly. It is foolishness. Well, my friend, I am constrained to tell you by the authority of the word of God, you are the fool. And there is only one way to be delivered out of your proud but misguided and deadly folly. That is by repentance of sin and trust in Christ alone for the deliverance from the effect of your sin. Humble yourself and flee to Christ today. Your folly will lead you to eternal separation from God in hell. Trust in Jesus for your salvation. But back to our text then. So who is it then that loves God? The book of 1 John tells us those who love God love his commandments and keep them. 1 John 5, 2 and 3 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Furthermore, 1 John 4.19 tells us that those who love God are loved by God. We love because he first loved us. We sang those words this morning. Also, we are told in 1 John 4.16 that those who love God abide with him. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Indeed, those who love God are those 
who have inherited eternal life. We see this clearly in James 1.12, where we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Do I need to do something with the, the, the speaker here? Should I? No, we're good? All right, thank you. I can't tell. <laughs> so here we see it then. It is not referring exclusively to a future state, but rather this is a present reality. Also, it does not refer to everyone, but only to those who love him, the children of God, spiritual obedient heirs of eternal life. This is a gathering, brothers and sisters, of those who love God. And so therefore, my hope is the encouragement from this passage is for us today as we consider what this mystery is. So then, what is it that God has promised? Well, back to our text. Verse 10 refers to the depths of God. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, this little phrase is fascinating to me. What are the depths of God? Well, Psalm 92.5 says, How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. Your thoughts are are very deep. Again, in Romans 11.33, we read, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unsearchable are His ways. Well, who can know the thoughts, the wisdom, the knowledge, the judgments of God? Or, as the Romans passage goes on to say in verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord. Well, verse 11 in our text tells us, let's look at it, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. The one who comprehends the one who searches the depths of God, the one who knows the mind of God, is the Spirit of God. Only God knows the depths of God. But the one who searches the depths of God is the one who has revealed a mystery to them that love him. Now, are, are you following me here? Paul is, is logically building a case. And follow with me as we build this case. But indeed, brothers and sisters, it's a mystery. Let's explore further. We find in verse 12. Now, we have not received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So secondly, the mystery is a gift freely given by God. First, the mystery refers to the depths of God. And second, it is a gift from God. 
Now, there's a key phrase here, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, all of this appears to be about a matter of knowledge. The language here argues that it has to do with knowledge. I want us to note how forcefully Paul is painting the uh, supernaturalness of it all. Verse 7 says, It is a secret, hidden wisdom of God. A mystery. Verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood it. Verse 9, It cannot be of man, because no eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no heart has imagined. Verse 10, it is from the depths of God. Verse 11, only God knows it. Verse 12, it is a gift from God. It requires supernatural agency, and it appears that it has to do with the knowing of knowledge. And verse 13, it is not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Look at it. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14 then says, It is spiritual truths being interpreted to the spiritual. Furthermore, we also see in verse 14 that all of this is completely unintelligible to the natural man. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now there is that dichotomy of contrasting categories of thought again. The natural mind versus the spiritual mind. You see, these are the only two ways of thinking. They're only the two, and they don't commingle. The natural versus the spiritual. They are light versus darkness. There is no fellowship here. There is no gray area. To inject poison into good food results in poison. To inject error into truth results in error. Think of Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. That pretty well sums it up, I would say. So in our context having to do with knowing a mystery, having to do with the depths of God revealed by God through His Spirit, completely unintelligible to the natural man, we come to the key, the revelation of this mystery. Look again at verses 14 and 15. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things 
but is himself to be judged by no one. These depths of God, which the natural man cannot understand because they are spiritually discerned, because they are only known by the Spirit of God, are understood by the spiritual person. How? Verse 16 tells us, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's what it says. That's what it is. That's what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. That's what God has prepared and the Spirit has revealed of the depths of God. We have the mind of Christ. There it is. The mystery revealed, the mind of Christ. Think of it. Those who love God, those who are spiritual because of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, have the mind of Christ. Now, this is an issue in our day because we live in a time in the, in the history of the church when there seems to be a great delight in ignorance. We have become an anti-intellectual culture. And so, therefore, in our, in our reaction to the time of the Enlightenment, we, generically, as Christendom, have taken this posture that we don't really need to know anything. What we need to do is feel the right things. Brothers and sisters, the gift that we have been given is not the feelings of Christ. The gift that we have been given is the mind of Christ, the depths of God, the knowledge and the wisdom of God that the unregenerate cannot know. But we who love God have been given by the Spirit the mind of Christ. Now, Paul is what Paul's doing here is describing the supernatural effect of regeneration. Being made alive in Christ, receiving new and enlightened minds, the mind of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit searches the depths of God and reveals Christ. Our Lord himself described this. Turn over to John chapter 14. Back to John chapter 14. As our Lord was teaching, really teaching his disciples toward the end of his ministry here. Look at verses 15 through 18 with me. Jesus says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come 
to you. Notice, the Father sends a helper. The Spirit, he's described as the Spirit of truth in verses 16 and 17. We know who this helper, the Spirit of truth is. It's the Holy Spirit. The very one who searches the depths of God and reveals this to those who love God. But we also know who the truth is. Because Jesus told us in verse 6 of John 14 where he told us, I am the truth. The truth is Christ himself. He does not come to everyone. Verse 17 tells us the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Does that sound familiar? No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. Furthermore, we are told by our Lord in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then later in 1526, chapter 15 and verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And beyond that, we can skip over to John 16, 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you catch that? He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now consider what Matthew Henry said about this. The wisdom he teaches is of a quite different kind from what passes under that notion in the world. It is not the wisdom of politicians, nor philosophers, nor rabbis, not such as they who teach, nor such as they relish, but the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God, what he had long what he had a long time kept to himself and concealed from the world and the depth of which now it is revealed, none but himself can fathom. It is the mystery which had been hid from ages and generations, though now made manifest to the saints. So what we see is the Spirit of God reveals to those who love him and only to those who love him, the mind of Christ, the truth, the logos, the word, the word of God. Our Lord confirms this in John 18:37. When being questioned by Pilate, he declares this, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. For everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
So then let's return to our text in 1 Corinthians 2. This great secret, this mystery once hidden to us who love God, is now revealed by His Spirit, spiritually discerned. What is it that we see? What is it that we hear? What is it that we know? The mind of God, the wisdom of God, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Paul made that marvelous declaration earlier in this chapter. In verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the wisdom of God. That is the only message of the people of God. The living Word of God revealed by the Spirit in the written Word of God. This can only be spiritually discerned. And only those who love Him can understand it. We have the mind of Christ. What does this mean? Well, Matthew Henry again. See the privilege of those who enjoy the gospel revelation. To them, types are unveiled, mysteries made plain, prophecies interpreted, and the secret counsels of God published and laid open. The wisdom of God in a mystery is now made manifest to the saints. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, The Bible speaks of those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. This reference is not to the ordinary power of the senses, but of the ability to cut through the darkness and cacophony of sin to see and hear the truth. With regeneration, the scales fall from our eyes so that we can truly perceive what we see and truly understand what we hear. Brothers and sisters, you can think God's thoughts. You can do God's work. You have the mind of Christ. Well, then let's consider a few applications as an outgrowth of this truth. First, I would say this. Be encouraged. To know Christ is to know the Father. To have the mind of Christ is to know the Father. And to know the Father is to have eternal life. In John 17, 3, our Lord prayed, And this is life eternal, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And listen to these wonderful words of our Lord Jesus found in John 8, 31 to 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is because, as we have seen, those who abide in his words have the mind of Christ. He is the truth. If we abide in him, the truth, we know the truth, and the truth sets us free. Free from what? Well, Jesus tells us in verses 34 and 36, Truly, 
Truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. These are words of liberty, the truth, the word, the mind of Christ shall set you free from sin. Be encouraged by recognizing the source. It is not your wisdom. In yourself, you can't see it. Your ear can't hear it. And it won't enter into your mind. 